It's time for the monthly appearance for Dr. Bernice Shafarik. As today, we talk about children's dental health because this is Children's Dental Health Month. Good morning, Dr. Shafarik. Tell me about children's dental health, or is it children's oral health? So we are transitioning to calling things more oral health rather than dental health because dental health implies that it's just teeth. And as we know, there's a whole lot more than just teeth. There's the bone around them, there's the muscles, there's the breathing apparatus. There's just, there's a lot more than just just plain dental. So what do you do at Shephoric Dental for Children's Oral Health Month? So we do a radio show with Wayne Norman. When is that going to be? (laughs) It's live right now, so Mm -hmm. hopefully (laughs) I will be able to inspire some of you out there to pay attention to our children and their oral health because there's still a huge need for improvement. And I had an interesting conversation a while back with my college roommate who's a physician in Maine. And she was talking about how important it is to advocate for children as a physician because she said, the adults, you know, you make your own decisions, but children are still vulnerable. They cannot make their own decisions. They don't have the brain development even until they're about 18. And we see that by some of the bad decisions that are made. So I think our community is very aware of that because some of the charitable organizations that we have in the area that try to support um, protecting children in our community. And there's things we can do as a society to help protect our children. All right. So for the very youngest, when's the first time they should visit a dentist? So um, I'm going to actually remind people out there that there will be a few websites that I will be listing today. So if you want to pull out your uh, pens or pencils so you can jot jot those down. So the answer to your question is there, a few years ago, we started a, a drive to make sure every child had a dental home by the time they were age one. And they are most vulnerable at that age. And I know many of you out there are thinking, how do you get a one-year-old to sit in the dental chair and cooperate? Well, it's not, there's so many more things we can do to help prevent problems. There's discussions that go on with the parents. There's, um, they have questions, you know, how do I keep my child healthy? And there are um, lots and lots of things that you can do. I know that kids start to teeth around, what, eight months, something like that. And I'm sure some parents are going, okay, now there's teeth there. Is it time to go to the dentist now? What's the answer to that? So that's a multi-level question. So the average age of a tooth erupting is six months. And so some kids get some teeth before, some get them after. But As we will talk about, it starts way earlier. It starts during pregnancy and breastfeeding. It starts when the child is born. You need to be taking a um, washcloth or what are called, uh, we used to have them, they're called infant tenders, which are basically a little washcloth that is made to fit on a finger. And get used to just going into the child's mouth with warm water and cleaning their gum tissues after every breastfeeding session or if if they're bottle feeding after that. So that's an important thing to start with right away. 
Does that also prepare the child later for somebody like you to be sticking their fingers in their mouth? So they're accustomed to that. It's not something new the first time they come in. Exactly. So one of the big problems that we have in life is that people have difficulty getting their children to develop good habits or getting them to um, behave the way we would like them to behave. And uh, I'm just going to throw this out here because it was on my mind this morning. I was, as I was thinking about protecting children, my husband is actually writing a book that he's entitling God Didn't Make Bad Children. And I think the concept of that that's so important that I run into is your children are not bad. They just are not ready to make good decisions. So we have to help make those decisions for them. So decisions like using that washcloth and being in their mouth every night and helping them clean, making great decisions about what we put into the bottle or deciding to breastfeed for six months because that is huge in terms of health for kids. When is the transition made from using the washcloth and going inside the child's mouth to the time when you actually brush? And I realize that there's a young age when the kid can't brush by themselves, so the parent or the guardian is the one who is sticking the toothbrush in there. But when is that transition made? So you actually just you use the toothbrush when they get teeth. That's why it's called a toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But when they're really young, until age two, you really just want to be putting water on that toothbrush. Hopefully you live in an area where there is fluoride in the water or there's some fluoride in your well water. But we found that the ill effect of too much fluoride, I mean, it's not a terrible effect, but you can get white spots or brown spots on the teeth. So if you're not using, that seems to come more from too much toothpaste than from fluoride in the water. So at a young age, as soon as they get their teeth, you want to be gently brushing with a toothbrush. So you can go in with your washcloth and clean the gum tissue areas and then take the little toothbrush to help them clean their teeth. Now, a lot of parents tell me that um, all my, you know, my child really loves to do that by themselves. They're not quite dexterous enough to do a really good job. So it should really be a combination. Once they turn age two, then you can use some toothpaste, but it should be like less than the size of rice. So this is new again. Oh, Once for they... the adults, you always said a pea. Right. And even after age three, it can be the size of a pea. But two to three, you really don't want to be using as much because it'll become part of their permanent teeth. So like a smear of toothpaste or a, um, a grain of rice is what they're saying at age two. You had mentioned earlier some websites, or at least a website. you want to just get that out now, and maybe we can repeat it later on? Sure. So there's actually three different websites that um, I want to mention. One is by the American Academy of Pediatrics, and that's also part of why it's oral health now and dental health, because we need to be partnering with the pediatricians, because they're seeing the kids really early. We need them looking in their mouths, encouraging them to come and see a dentist if they see a problem, definitely, or at least by age one. So the um, American Academy of Pediatrics has a website that's called healthychildren.org. So that's a capital H. And um, that one will give you general information about keeping your children healthy. The American Dental Association has a website called mouthhealthy.org 
org, And then there's one we're going to talk about that's really a fun website we'll talk about later on that's called drinksdestroyteeth.org. I can see where that's going already. And, you know, I've, I've had some discussions lately with people who've had some kind of devastating medical diagnoses. And, you know, sometimes they go to the web, they go to Google. Now, the problem with that is if you go to Google and you Google um, children's oral health, you're getting a whole lot of things that have an ad next to them. That's not where you're going to get your best information. And so like, speaking of that, I'm getting ready for my radio show over the weekend. And as Wayne can see, there's a ton of articles and notebooks and things that I've copied. And my husband said to me, do you, I don't think you really even need to do that. I think if like Wayne appeared right now and said, you have to talk about children's oral health, you'd be able to do that. And that's true. But... I want to make sure that the information I have is as current as possible. And I think that's our obligation as dentists. And I'm afraid it doesn't happen as often as I would like it to. So people will say to me, well, I read in the newspaper. If you read something in the newspaper, then you need to go back and research that a little more. You don't have to, but I do, because I'm the one that people are listening to. So you really want to have what we call randomized controlled studies for things where you have a group that doesn't have treatment A and a group that does and see if it really makes a difference if you have a large study. So that's part of what I need to do. And the other thing that happens that's always amazing to me is I have some ideas about what I want to talk about. And then I go into the literature and I see an article about something that we'll talk about secondhand smoke later on. I really had not thought that much about the effect of secondhand smoke on young children. And it's huge and it's something that we really need to know about. All right, so full disclosure here. Bernice has like yellow pages she's written on and she's got a notebook and she's got a magazine that's open to something. What's the magazine open to right that's now? That's the um, uh, secondhand smoke article. I actually flipped it over. Um, and there are a few facts in there that I wanted to make sure. For example, if, Wayne, when you're talking about the statistics from the game, I watch what you do. You flip back to your paper where it's written, so you make sure that you're actually saying it accurately because we can all have lapses. So that's part of what all of my paperwork here is. So you got some numbers for me, Bernice? Because you always have numbers for me. I do, but before I do the numbers, I did say at the beginning of the show that it takes a village to help our children, and I just received some input on my text message from my office manager because she used to work for a um, pediatric office. And so Christy wrote to me what the pediatric dentist used to tell the parents about helping pe their kids brush because, you know, they may resist having the parents brush their teeth. So they used to say, the pediatrist would say, have the parents sit crisscross applesauce on the floor, so I guess crossed legs, but crisscross applesauce is more fun to say. And the child should rest their head in the parent's lap and practice holding open their mouth for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, and 20 seconds. So in that position, it's more like the position they will have when they're in the dental chair with somebody above them. And then parents can practice brushing their teeth in that same position, and that will make it more similar to what happens 
in the dental office. Um, and so that might just make life a little bit easier. So statistics. We are not improving as much as we would like to. The latest um, Center for Disease Control statistics that I found were children two to five years old in the United States still have 21.4% of them have an untreated decayed tooth. When you go to the uh, two to five year, I'm sorry, we did two to five, the five to 11 years old, 20% have at least one untreated decayed tooth. The adolescents age 12 to 19, 13%. Another depressing statistic is that children age 5 to 19 from low-income families are twice as likely to have cavities compared with children from higher-income households. And there was a great study done in Los Angeles in a low-income community, and they looked at the impact of tooth problems on academic performance. So that's like super unfair to uh, jinx uh, a student's performance in school by not having their teeth taken care of. And the statistics there were that a child with a toothache is four times more likely to have a low grade point average. 11% um, of the students who have limited access to health care um, miss school, and that's an average of 58 to 80 school hours. So basically they compared kids who did not have good access to dental care to kids who did have good access. So there's definitely a big problem out there, and it has an impact on academic performance, which I think has an impact on all of us. I mean, we need all of our kids to be able to get the best education they can because our taxes are paying for those public schools. Let me ask this question, which is loosely based on a family that I know. Three kids, and the oldest, who's now 10, has some pretty serious dental issues, just because decay, and they really work hard. They brush three, four, five, ten times a day. I don't remember how many it is, but they brush a lot. Yet the other two don't seem to be bothered by it as much. Do you see that happen, where one child in a family of three has more issues with dental oral issues than the other two younger ones do? Yes, and it's all about risk factors. And so I will occasionally have people say to me, well, it's just genetic. You know, I will always have more cavities. Well, risk factors are genetic. So if you have a child, and we'll talk about that a little later, who's not sleeping well or breathing through their mouth a lot, their mouth will be drier than the other two children in the same family. When you have a drier mouth, the saliva is not washing your teeth. It's not preventing decay as much. That being said, we have lots of tools to prevent that. We have things like fluoride varnish. and But that has to be done in the dental office. Later on, we'll also talk about what you should be putting into your system. So the child who has a worse issue definitely should be drinking water and milk. And that's, that's all they should be drinking. So, I mean, it's the same thing that when you go to the physician and they ask you about heart disease in your family. And if you know you have that, then there's certain things that you could do to help prevent it. The uh, middle child of that family, by the way, has a big-time sweet tooth. Does a child with a real, I'm talking abnormal sweet tooth, 
are they at higher risk for getting decay in cavities? Of course. I mean, we, the, the uh, sequence is there's bacteria in your saliva. You eat something sweet. They metabolize that. It turns into acid. And acid is what causes cavities. So unfortunately, I mean, and that's, that's interesting that you say the one child in the family who has worse problems is the one with the sweet tooth. So perhaps she's eating a lot more sugar than the rest of the family, which is, you know, and we really need to be in control of that because I'm sure she doesn't go to the grocery store and buy something sweet. Well, the, the parents try to control it, but sometimes the kid just gravitates toward it just more than the other two do. That's why right. I bring that up. Right. Uh, one area that I know you want to get into now or later is this area you touched on earlier, drinks destroy teeth. So let's get into that. And you've discussed this before, but I think there's a major message to get out here. So the um, website is called drinksdestroyteeth.org. I don't know if you want to go on there, Wayne, but there's it's called drink destroyteeth.org and it was developed by a dentist in Indiana and part of the rationale for that is you know we in dentistry really want people to have healthy teeth and people will jokingly say to me oh well does that decrease your business nobody likes having to fill cavities on children it's just depressing for the child it's it's frustrating for the parents it's not fun for the dentist so anything we can do to prevent that is good we are fighting a huge lobby from sweeten acidic beverages you know they are pushing it and when we try to go into schools and suggest that perhaps they shouldn't have those things available to the kids a lot of their sports programs and other things are funded by those companies so this uh, website has a page that's called the unsweetened truth have you found it, Wayne? Well, I'm on the site. I also so, so there's a lot of stuff on here, including yeah. a downloadable app. But uh, on the left side here, it says "Drinks Destroy Teeth" is an outreach program of the Indiana Dental Association to inform the public about the potentially harmful oral health effects of drinking acidic and sugary drinks. Drinks Destroy Teeth components consist of a hands-on curriculum, including two lesson plans, a complimentary mobile app and supplemental resources. So do you see the page, The Unsweetened Truth? Not yet. <laughs> so there's a page that they have on there, and it lists the pH and the teaspoons of sugar in 20 popular drinks. And um, if you think about acid, acid can destroy teeth. So if you think about battery acid, everybody knows it corrodes. So the more acidic the beverage is, the worse it is for your teeth. So neutral pH is 7. Below, anything below that is more acidic. And the funny thing when I went on that page that, that made me chuckle is if you look at the top, Wayne, does it have something listed about battery acid? Yeah, it says, please note, battery acid is listed below only for purposes of comparison and should never be confused for any reason as a beverage. The pH scale measures the acidity or alkalinity of a solution with pure water in the middle at neutral pH 7. Water is pH 7 with zero sugar in it. Milk is right behind it at 6.7. Bark's root beer is third at 4. Minute Maid Orange Juice 3.8. We'll go to the bottom of the list here. Guess what's at the bottom of the list? 
battery acid. That's got a one. And, and just ahead, just ahead of battery acid, Coca-Cola Classic 2.4. And how much sugar? Ten teaspoons. teaspoons of sugar. That's what a normal uh, 12 ounce. I'm not sure how much the quantity. 12 ounce is the yeah. serving. Okay. And if you go up a little higher, you have something like Minute Maid Lemonade, which some parents might think that wouldn't be too bad. 2.6 acidity and 10 teaspoons of sugar. If you go up a little higher, Wayne, you go to the sports events and they're drinking Gatorade, right? And what's, where's Gatorade? I just had Gatorade on my trail walk on the airline trail yesterday. Gatorade's sort of in the middle, but it's got five teaspoons of sugar, 2.9 uh, in the acidity pH department. So let me let me go from bottom up here. As we were talking battery acid, just as a point of comparison, it's not recommended to be a part of your daily <laughs> diet. But again, right above it is Coca-Cola Classic, Diet Schweppes Tonic Water, Pepsi, Minute Maid Lemonade, Sobe Energy Citrus, Mountain Dew, Vault Energy Soda, Dr. Pepper, Sunkissed Orange Soda, the aforementioned Gatorade, and then Diet Pepsi, and then some energy drinks, and Diet Coke, and stuff like that. So that's a pretty revealing page there. It is, and that's all we have to fight the huge industries that are trying to get you to buy all of those things. And we mentioned that, unfortunately, lower-income households have more decay and lower access to health care. Sometimes because the prices of some of these drinks are lower than more valuable fluids, then people go towards that diet. So if we're thinking about our youngest ones, infants, the only thing that should go into that bottle is water, formula, or milk. Nothing else should ever go into that bottle because they're basically bathing their newly developing teeth in those substances. Now, Gatorade, you mentioned that, Wayne. So let's say you are really physically active and you need to replenish electrolytes. So that's why a lot of people drink Gatorade. That's okay in that circumstance. But if you drink water after that, you will give your body a chance to go back to the seven that we talked about that's a neutral pH. The other thing that I actually had not thought about before, and I've mentioned it on the show, um, and it's relevant to pregnancy. So if people have um, morning sickness with pregnancy and you actually vomit, not a good idea to brush your teeth right after that because it's a very acidic environment. So you rinse with water. You also can rinse with a mixture of baking soda and warm water, and that's alkaline, that word that's the opposite of acid so it can bring the pH back to where it's normal. Now, all of this sounds like a lot, but I have patients in my practice. There's one that comes to mind who's 35 years old, has already lost six teeth to decay, and almost every tooth in his mouth is decayed. And he doesn't want to smile because it's not attractive. And when I ask him, what do you think happened? Well, it started with when I was young, we didn't go to the dentist much because we didn't have the money. So that's one, if you get a bad start. The other problem that I hear that people will say is, I did go to the dentist as a child, but it was not a good experience, so I stayed away for years. The rest of his story is he smoked for a long time and drank alcohol. And 
alcohol has a lot of sugar in it, and it also gives you the tendency to dry your mouth, so that decreases the saliva. So all those things that help you fight decay are negated by some of the bad habits that we have. Speaking of smoke, when it comes to children's oral health, what is the effect of secondhand smoke on kids? So it's huge on a lot of health aspects, not just oral health, but there was a, an article about secondhand smoke in my latest, um, actually it was November, December, of the Academy of General Dentistry's journal, and it was just incredible to, I had not really thought about it, and the study was actually, it was literature review and a lot of the information comes from some of the other countries where smoking is even worse than it is here so I think it was India but around the world there are 700 million children who are exposed to secondhand smoke um, another interesting thing in that article was that um, in the United States uh, smoke from water pipes that is apparently pretty popular with adolescents their statistics are 2 million adolescents reported using water pipes in the United States. And the secondhand smoke is just as toxic as the secondhand smoke from cigarettes. So the thing to think about is we have these children who need to grow up into productive adults, and they start out with smaller bronchial tubes. So that's the little uh, pipes in your lungs that have to filter things. And they have a greater oxygen demand because their metabolism is quicker and they breathe faster. So they are going to be much more vulnerable to secondhand smoke than an adult. They also have all these developing immune systems and other areas of their body that will be messed up if you're exposing them to secondhand smoke. And the statistics are really not good. So some people think, well, I'm just going to smoke in the car. Well, our little people are much more vulnerable even to dust in the household. So that stuff stays in the air. And this study showed that there is much more decay in children who are exposed to secondhand smoke. And if they have, if there's a pregnant mother who's, smoking, which hopefully hardly ever happens anymore, I hope, they're really vulnerable. So it turns out there is something that can be measured in the saliva, which is a byproduct that gets uh, metabolized from nicotine to another substance. And they can measure that substance. And they do find greater levels in kids who are exposed to secondhand smoke. Continuing a discussion about children's oral health, what about sleeping and breathing issues? So that's another area that's, um, that's huge. And um, we have talked about um, obstructive sleep apnea in adults. Well, it turns out that the incidence in children of OSA, which is obstructive sleep apnea, is 1.7 to 5%. Now, that, I found that incredibly high because, you know, you need your kids to sleep well or they can't function well. So um, the... Uh, Plus, the better they sleep, the better you sleep. That's a, that's a bonus. Well, you know, actually, that's an interesting point because the um, American Academy of Pediatrics 
has established guidelines for things that pediatricians need to be asking about. And the way that we in dentistry can help is we see the children in our chair and they open and you can see how big their tonsils and adenoids are. You can see if the palate, the roof of the mouth, if it's what we call high and vaulted, there's not going to be room for the tongue to be where it should be. If we have a child younger than age seven who has what we call malocclusion, so the teeth are not in the proper spot, those are all indicators that perhaps they're not sleeping and breathing as well as they should. So my next step is, is to have a conversation with the parent. So when you said if the kids aren't sleeping well, the parents aren't sleeping well, part of the issue sometimes is you may not be aware if the child is sleeping well or not because they fall asleep and your thought may be, thank God, you know, I can finally go get something done or get sleep myself. So the conversations I have with parents, you know, no child should snore on a regular basis. So if your child is snoring more than three nights a week, then that's more than they should be. So the relationship is so somebody you know your child has a cold or an allergic episode so they're not breathing well through their mouth so that might be that they're snoring but if they're snoring on a regular basis definitely should be brought to the attention of the pediatrician now i think our obligation as healthcare providers is to try to stay up to date as much as possible which is a challenge you know there's journals you need to read courses you need to go to but I think that's really important. So sometimes there's too many other things that the pediatricians may be checking, and I have parents coming back to me and saying, well, the pediatrician said that's normal and don't worry about it. So my suggestion is if you really do have a child who seems to have this problem, and the statistics say up to 5% of the children do, then you need to video their snoring. And then that can make call it to the attention of, of the pediatrician so that you can get some help if you need it. So for kids, the first line of defense is often to look at their adenoids and tonsils and see if those need to be taken out to give them more room to breathe. What they found in the, in the research that I was reading is that if a child is identified with obstructive sleep apnea, and there are sleep studies that can be done on children, you know, wearing a CPAP machine as a child is not is is going to be a huge challenge for everybody involved. So, um, looking at the tonsils is a good first line of defense. But they found that sometimes, even after the tonsils are taken out, so let's say a child does have a sleep study, and the reason you're taking out the tonsils or adenoids or both is because of their sleep apnea, then you need to be aware that that child maybe needs to stay in the hospital a little bit longer because if they have obstructive sleep apnea, there are bigger risks with the anesthesia. So they should be tested afterwards also to see if it made a difference. Um, so there's, there's a lot going on in that area. The casual or uninformed listener might be saying, well, wait a minute, secondhand smoke, I get the fact that it can affect their respiratory system, but what's the specific effect of secondhand smoke on teeth? So you want to go back to secondhand smoke because I'm, I'm, I'm in sleep mode. But um, so secondhand smoke basically is going to mess up your lung 
tissue. It's going to occupy your lungs with filtering when they really should be metabolizing and thinking about breathing healthily. So one of the indicators, too, is um, for children who have sleep apnea is disturbed sleep is one and habitual snoring. So that's more than three nights a week when you hear them snoring in the absence of a cold. Um, another thing is daytime uh, behavioral problems. So if you have a child who just seems to act up a lot during the day or are identified with um, ADD or ADHD, so you need to take a look at that too, is, is the sleep component part of it. Um, so those things, and another big thing with kids, just like with adults, is overweight. So an overweight child is going to have more of a tendency to have sleep problems. And those are things that we can impact. We can help them with that. There are also some um, nasal sprays and medications that help the kids breathe better through through their nose. But it's it's a community now of all of us wanting our kids to be healthier. So in dentistry, it's my obligation. If I see that I have a child who's three or four years old and their teeth are in the wrong position, we need to take a closer look at that. Why is that happening? As we talk about children's oral health, I wonder if you can just do a, this is, a, this is out of left field here, but I think you'll have an answer for it. How we treat what we think of as oral health, the old dental health thing, cavities in teeth now versus a generation ago, maybe versus two generations ago, I'll bet that the treatment is different for them now. And hopefully, besides the treatment, but it's also a lot more focus on prevention. Yeah. So we have great preventive tools. And um, the... One that's not utilized still anywhere near as much as it should be are sealants. So sealants are a coating we can put on the um, back teeth because when they, when they come in, they have deep grooves on them. So we need to protect them with sealants. So those are the six-year molars. So they took a look at six- to eight-year-olds, and there's way fewer sealants than there should be that are being done on, on those kids. And when you look at the comparison of the price of a sealant to the price of a cavity, the sealants are much less expensive to pay for and to do. The problem is sometimes the insurance doesn't cover them. You know, all that money you're going to save on not buying soda or Gatorade or all those <laughs> things, I would put into a little jar that says sealants for my six-year-old. Then the 12-year-old molars come in later, and those should be sealed also because it is proven that that helps. The materials have changed a lot, too. We have materials that have fluoride within the filling material. Um, we have more things that... Uh, fluoride varnishes, so that sticks to the teeth pretty well, and those are in some areas of the United States. Connecticut's a very condensed area, so just as far as driving somewhere, it's never as near as, as difficult as it is in places like Montana or Texas. So in those areas, the push is to try to get the pediatricians to be having fluoride varnish in their offices so maybe they can apply it for the kids. Changing gears a little bit here, we always talk about the Seroptimist and the good things they do for our community, and the Seroptimist have a big event coming up next month. What is it? 
It's the Heart to Heart Ball that we have been doing yearly. I think this year may be our 16th year that we're doing it. And it will be held on Saturday, March 7th at the Elks Lodge on Pleasant Street in Willimantic. And it will be from 6 p.m. until 11 p.m. We will have a live band, the Shaded Soul Band. Right now, we're looking for silent auction donations and people who might want to be sponsors. And if you want more information, the website is seroptimuswillimantic.org. And I'm just going to throw out there some of the many projects. I've been involved with the Seroptimus for about 20 years, and um, there are people from... Wyndham Hospital who will say, I remember when you guys helped fund some of our prenatal clinic stuff. We funded a program at Generations to provide dental information to pregnant women, which just ties in exactly with what we're doing here. So those are things that, you know, it, you get a big bang for for your buck. So if you pay, I think it's $50, yes, $50 per person for a ticket, and you get food, camaraderie, a live band, the opportunity to get some great silent auction items, plus support some really important programs in our community. Cocktails and dinner, dinner with carving stations as well. How do people get tickets for the March 7th event, Heart to Heart Ball at the Elks? So you can call Karen at 878-0172 or Marianne at 617-1703. You can go on to the website, seroptimuswillimantic.org, to reserve reserve your tickets, and that will, um, that will help you join us on that fun evening. You wanted to go back to talking about the importance of treatment when it comes to pregnancy and breastfeeding. So take it away. Yes, because that's where it all starts. You know, we want to give our kids the best possible start. So if you're someone out there who is interested in becoming pregnant, that you're planning a pregnancy, now's the time to do a few things to put yourself in, in good shape. Because the healthier you your mouth is, the healthier your baby's mouth is going to be. So get into the dentist, take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. That being said, it is very important to see a dentist while you're pregnant because um, there is such a thing as pregnancy gingivitis. And when they used to say that women would lose a tooth with every pregnancy, it was more about infection of the gums and dissolving of the bone than it was about calcium being drawn from the teeth because that was a popular thing that people said but no 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 the baby is not taking calcium out of your teeth what the baby is doing is sharing whatever bacteria you have in your mouth so that would be a very good thing to control and the state of new york actually has the department of health recommends that pregnant women from six months to delivery use a sodium fluoride rinse and um, what's called a chlorhexidine rinse, and that's more of a mouthwash. And that's to control the level of bacteria. So you wait until six months so that you're not exposing the baby to more fluoride earlier. But these are also mouthwashes, so it's not something you're swallowing. It's just something you're doing to decrease the level of bacteria in your mouth so that you have a healthier situation. That being said, you might end up 
being pregnant and maybe being surprised by it, and you may have a dental issue. So then that becomes a decision. You don't want to ignore that dental issue because it can create a less healthy atmosphere for your child. So when you come in, let's say, and you have a tooth problem and you're pregnant and you come in to see me, then I need to make a decision about my diagnostic tests, are they more harmful than what this condition is, is creating for your child? So the statistics are, if you take a single diagnostic x-ray, so a pregnant woman comes in to me and says, I have a hole in this tooth. I need to take an x-ray to see how deep that hole is. So that single diagnostic x-ray does not have enough radiation to cause harm to the baby. In fact, the radiation doses in the first trimester are up to five grays is the unit they use. And in the second and third trimester, it's 10 grays. And those are the levels that have been shown to cause harm to a fetus or the, or the embryo. So that being said, I said five and 10 grays. A full mouth series of x-rays that's taken at the dental office, and that can be up to like 22 of those x-rays of your mouth, that's 0.002% of that risk. I still am not in a place where I want to be doing those kind of x-rays on a woman who's pregnant. I'd much prefer you to come in before you become pregnant so we can check everything. But if you do have a problem, much, much wiser to go and have that tooth x-rayed and taken care of than waiting. So local anesthetic, what popularly is called um, Novocaine, is perfectly safe for pregnant and breastfeeding women. What is not recommended is general anesthesia or something like um, benzodiazepines, which are the medications like Valium. So let's say you're someone who's super nervous about dentistry and you're one of those people who comes in to me and says, I can only do this if you knock me out. Well, that's general anesthesia, very bad idea while you're pregnant. Or you say, well, I can't, you know, I need to be sedated. Well, we can do that in my office. We can offer in-office sedation, but the medications are benzodiazepines. There are things like Valium, so we don't want to be doing that when you're pregnant. Um, also, uh, benzodiazepines, the problem with them is they are associated with things like cleft lip and cleft palate. That's why you don't want to be taking those. And also, um, when people come in for conscious sedation, part of the procedure is to breathe in nitrous oxide to calm you down, which is very safe when you're not pregnant. When you're pregnant, it does have an association with spontaneous abortion. So the bottom line is, do your child a favor and take care of your teeth before you're in, in that position. Yeah, that's really good information. And then going back to Dentistry 101, if I connect the dots here, it sounds to me like when you get pregnant, it's a really good idea to brush your teeth more often. So the guidelines are brush your teeth twice a day. Actually, you know, that works for everybody. So if you're someone who's really taking care of yourself, you're brushing twice a day, you're flossing daily, you don't need to do any more than that unless you identify a problem. So 
If you are someone who ends up suffering from pregnancy gingivitis, so that would mean that when you go to floss, before you used to floss, you went to the dentist every six months, and there was never really any bleeding of your gum tissues, and all of a sudden now you're getting bleeding of your gum tissues, that means that you do have pregnancy gingivitis. So one suggestion would be to come in more frequently, like every three months, or add something else to your dental routine, or as you brought out, Wayne, to, to floss more, more often. As we talk about children's oral health, which we used to call children's dental health, what's the role of orthodontics? So I was going to do transition, but you beat me to it. So there was a study done um, on children who were breastfed, and they, um, were, they showed that children who were exclusively breastfed for the first six months have a 41 to 72 percent decreased instance of moderate to severe malocclusion. So the kids who are breastfed exclusively the first six months of their lives have straighter teeth. Do you know why that would be, Wayne? Well, I don't know, just that the bottle moves the teeth around. Or moves, right. right. Yeah. So it's all about behaviors, and so everybody kind of instinctively knows that if a child is thumb-sucking, they're pushing their teeth into the wrong position. The same thing happens with bottle feeding as opposed to breastfeeding. So when we talk about orthodontics, sometimes people think, well, it's all about your teeth looking good and I don't care about that. It really is much more about how they function than how they look. So when you think about it, we talked about sleep apnea. What happens with sleep apnea is when people go to lay down, especially if they're laying on their back, the tongue may drop back into the wrong position and there may be excess soft tissue, like there's, there's too much. So that, that's the association of partially of obesity to sleep apnea, that you actually get a fatter tongue if you're overweight. There are fat pads in the tongue too. So if that tongue is not in the right position, it's going to interrupt your breathing and your sleeping. If you have the appropriate position, there's a fight between your tongue that's a muscle and your cheek muscles that are that dictates where your teeth end up. So if your tongue muscle and your cheek muscles are in balance, then you're going to have a U-shaped arch and your teeth are going to line up the way we like to see them. Does that make sense? I thought that was very good theater of the mind for radio. Yes. Yeah, it is, it is a little <laughs> tricky, but part of what makes your tongue strong as a muscle is breastfeeding can help with that. Then with your cheek muscles, we need to make sure that we're feeding our children appropriately. So if all they get is that liquidy kind of baby food, they're not going to develop the cheek muscles as much. So a lot of those things are really important and much easier to floss teeth that are straight than ones that are overlapped and crooked. When your teeth are straight and they're kind of a U-shape and the upper ones close against the lower ones, in a healthy situation, the lower teeth are angled slightly towards your tongue. And the top teeth are outside. Here we are in theater of the mind again. When you chew, that, the mechanics of that 
makes the food end up in the floor of your mouth where all the salivary enzymes are and where all of that digestion should take place. If you envision your bottom teeth being outside of your top teeth, then instead of it going, the food going into the floor of your mouth, it's going to end up with the squirrel hamster action. It's going to be in your cheeks instead. So those Groundhog. are... Groundhog. <laughs> Groundhog. Hedgehog. I heard it was hedgehogs in, uh, in Europe, and we only went to groundhogs here because they couldn't find enough hedgehogs, I guess, who knew about weather. Anyway, um, so the way teeth are aligned is way more important. And I don't want to make light of, of teeth looking right, but there are also things like speech. If your teeth aren't in the right place or if you have the tongue tie, that's going to affect your speech. So all of those things work hand in hand to have a naturally healthier situation. So the child you described, Wayne, who's much more prone to decay, if you have to make a decision, that's the child who really should have straight teeth because straight teeth are much more self-cleansing than crooked teeth. Hopefully, you know, nobody has to make that decision. But if you're thinking out there, gee, I really, I heard that it costs a lot to have braces and that the insurance only covers half or even less than that, breastfeeding for six months will make a big, a big difference. And the other thing that we talked about that's so important is the only thing that goes in the bottle is formula, milk, or water. At night, the only thing that goes in the bottle is water. So at night, you don't want to even be putting milk in there because when we went on to that website, what was that website called? I had that before, Drinks Destroy Teeth. And you go on that page called The Unsweetened Truth, you'll see that milk is slightly below water in terms of acidity and sugar content. So water is what you really need to be doing at night. The other website I had mentioned before from the American Dental Association is mouthhealthy.org. If you go on to mouthhealthy.org, they have a lot of um, information about oral habits and anything you could think of. And it's all approved by a panel of dentists. And we put each other to a much higher standard than the newspaper does. We want to make sure that we have very, very accurate information. So please, if you have a question about dentistry, either come in and visit me. We're always welcoming new patients. We'd love to see you. Or go on mouthhealthy.org. Don't, don't go to an ad-based Google search. Some really good and helpful information this morning about children's oral health from Dr. Benice Shafarik. They are located on Route 66 East in Columbia on the telephone at 228-8492. Thanks for coming in this morning, Bernice. Good to see you. You're welcome. 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.